Welcome to uh, Technically Healthy. I am your host, Tobias Alpston, and on this podcast, we invite cool people who work in health or in technology, ideally both. Um, and today, I am absolutely delighted to uh, be joined by a fellow CEO and co-founder, it's, uh, Gillian Bridget Cohen, uh, who started uh, Virtual Health Partners. Um, Jillian, I think you are based in New York, aren't you? I am based in New York. I do miss coming across the pond and seeing you and your team uh, in days of old when we used to be able to freely travel. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a big change. I suppose that's a, a good place to start, really, a, a transatlantic perspective of uh, running tech health tech business in a pandemic. How do you, you know, how, how's the New York landscape? How does it feel? You know, um, it is a city that has a lot of strength, but I think before I even touch on that, I did just want to say thank you, Tobias, uh, for having me, myself, and BHP on this podcast today, and we're huge fans of MyGP and everything that you guys have accomplished, so really excited to be here, so thank you. But going back to the city in which I met you and that I love so much, you know, I think as you know, New York was really hard hit by COVID-19 and the pandemic and then other items on top of that from an economic situation in the state, similar to many cities in Europe and within the UK. And, you know, the heart is always here. Everybody wants to see it remain strong. And I think it's just a matter of a few years that it's going to take just like post 9-11 to recover. Yeah. It's Plus, when we when we record this, we we just heard that the vaccine would be forthcoming, and and of course that's great news. Uh, but from a from a business perspective, Virtual Health Partners is strong in supporting people in weight loss since March. Really, how has the pattern of usage and what have you seen uh, happening yeah. on? So from a business perspective globally, how we work is we're a B2B company to see. So we work and partner with our partners across the globe. So they fall into a few different buckets. They can be insurers or employers or national health plans like the NHS um, within the UK as an example. And uh, in the US, we have a lot of private insurers that we work with as well, along with our government insurers uh, with Medicare Advantage and Medicaid. And then we also work with pharmaceutical, med device, nutritional supplement companies where we're included with their product as a full solution. Uh, so that if you have Crohn's disease and you are prescribed a regimen for Crohn's disease elimination diet uh, with the product, we will be supporting your journey for completing the different phases of trying to keep you out of hospital. The third area, which has been the initial focus of our company and continues to you know, keep our lights on today, as I like to say, is our health system or provider business, right, where we're working directly in tangent with physicians and health hospital systems where they're adding the users onto the platform and utilizing our services of nutrition, lifestyle support, and fitness all done virtually. What we've seen since COVID-19 has been um, the fact that I think our services used to be a nice to have in many instances where you, you needed to have these services if you were having bariatric surgery or medical managed weight loss or if you, God forbid, had cancer and had malnutrition issues or were put on chemotherapy. But what we have a 
led to through COVID-19 is seeing us as an absolute essential need because weight has had such a large impact, no pun intended there, uh, on the effects that one can have and their hospitalization rates with obesity and other comorbidities have been much higher in the population that needs to lose weight with COVID-19. So I think it's brought a tremendous amount of attention to the area and the need to be able to combat it in a cost-effective convenient and proactive manner that can be done in combination with your health provider and also can be done at your fingertips whenever you want to be able to access care. So let's get a bit closer to the to the service you provide and I think it's it it does lend itself to be shown as you did for for me and for others uh, over the last year uh, but describe my user experience if I get on one of your your services, content, advice. Absolutely. So how we work is in a bundling concept where it's through subscription that you're invited into the privacy compliant or as I should say, privacy compliant platform. And that works in an app or web format on your phone or desktop computer. And through there, you're able to access one-on-one nutrition appointments with our team of nutritionists throughout the world uh, in your language that you choose. You're able to access live stream classes with fitness um, experts and well-known clubs and brands. You're able to access our team as social workers and psychologists to manage crisis fatigue and stress. Uh, Whether you're doing that through live chat with our health experts, you're joining a class, a support group, or utilizing tons of our resources that have been vetted by health experts, where we've had hundreds of thousands of users access this information. And you know that source of information that you're getting has actually been vetted and is through real experts within the field. So all of that is within the platform. Uh, When you get invited to the platform, either through one of our partner solutions or partner collaborations or through your doctor uh, or health system, what we see is that you're becoming, you choose a specific program that you're working with us. So we know why you're coming to us ahead of time and all of the information you see will be relevant to what's going on in your life. All of us obviously have crisis fatigue. I do think that there's many social determinants of health, especially loneliness across the board with social isolation that COVID has caused that we're combating constantly and providing tips and tools and meditation and other techniques and support to individuals, which does not matter what's going on outside of your body or inside of your body because we're all dealing with that. So once again, it's a subscription platform. And it can either be on a month-to-month basis or it could be for a three, six, or 12-month basis that you're on a subscription with us. And you're able to then choose the services that best fit your needs in combination with programming that's specific to your needs. I'm a fan. Uh, as you know. <laughs> I'm so glad. And we yeah. love MyGP. We're a huge fan of what you guys are doing, especially with the fact that you're bringing such amazing technology, you know, in combination with NHS providers to the population so that they have the ease and access to care that everyone wants. Right. Right. Oh, it's a, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, what I like about the, so I mean, it's, it's just as, anything that that the internet and digital was made for just the idea of of bringing great services great advice great 
you know, content to lots of people who need it. And, and you know, a lot of these challenges are, are quite personal and, uh, you know, and, and also social. So I think it's, uh, it's a remarkable service. It's, it's right. So obviously being New York based as I am, Tobias, and you know, I actually need to pay my doctor's bill. And for some reason, they don't have an online portal to pay it. It's $14.90. It's not putting anybody outside of uh, not being able to want to pay it or being able to pay it. But I actually have to call the office to do so. And the concept of having to reach them when they're not on lunch break to pay this $14.90 is driving me absolutely crazy. So the idea of being able to rid things of administrative headaches, whether it's through coverage benefits or self-pay mechanisms, um, I am a huge fan of. And that's one of the many reasons I love my GP. But I think the reason that we get along so well is we also like simple solutions. Yes, absolutely. And we think about people. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, it's not really about making, you know, doctors and uh, administrators healthy, uh, well, richer. It's about, you know, solving real life uh, health issues and, and address those. So I think that's that's a key element to this. So let me ask you, this is this is an interesting conversation because you are um, our first American guest. Um, and so <laughs> it lends itself to, and, and you know the how the NHS works. And of course, I've been traveling rather extensively to America and, and this, you know, we've been met, meeting, well, we've met many times to talk about these things, but how do you feel about um, access to healthcare in general um i suppose there's been it's a high it's been a a big question during the election campaigns the presidential election campaign about where 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 american healthcare is going uh, whether the obamacare affordable care act should be kept or not um do you feel from a comparative perspective uk us do you think a service like virtual health partners is easier to distribute in a single payer environment? Or do you think that the fragmented multi-payer environment of America is you know, a more conducive for spa- expanding great digital health services? Well, I am a capitalist by first nature. <laughs> Uh, as being an entrepreneur and having to figure out how things can work uh, in different areas of the world and different parts and different segments. So that's a great question, Tobias. So I think first, there's aspects of the NHS, and I know you um, are aware that I worked uh, within Europe and the UK for quite a few years, and I'm very, as you mentioned, very familiar with the NHS system. My parents are also Canadian, so understand single tier systems. Uh, One of the items that I like much better about the UK system from a national health plan versus Canada is that a provider in the national health system or um, a user is able to access care through the NHS. There's also a private pay um, solution through insurance and a cash pay, right? So if your employer offers that private insurance, you have multiple tiers that an individual can access versus Canada, where if a physician participates, for the most part, province to province in um, Canadian health reimbursement, they cannot offer the same services for private or cash 
pay um, or self-pay. So I think that you guys have a really nice hybrid approach. Uh, another item of the NHS that I really do admire versus how our multi-tiered system in the U.S. works is the having a GP. My father being a family practitioner and understanding the importance of having that relationship and somebody who can understand and help from a preventive side, I think is an absolute necessity uh, in helping to one, prevent another global pandemic, but two, also reduce a lot of these social determinants of health that we see and being able to have a care plan that makes sense for the individual, right? So from a U.S. perspective, we are seeing the need um, has completely had a domino effect thanks to COVID in a positive manner where Medicaid and Medicare government plans have recognized the need for our services. So those become included uh, parts of an individual's access to care. On the flip side, on the commercial insurance, uh, a lot of that is determined by one's employer and what's included in that plan uh, because we have two different types of commercial offerings. We have what we call self-insured, which is when the employer is covering all costs of an individual versus the true commercial concept where your insurance and the full lot is being paid of a premium to for each employee to that insurance company for coverage. So with that understanding, we have even more complexities where you have to have an employer on board with what's being offered. You have to work with the commercial organization and plan. And then in many cases, they have specific product alignments that they're looking to offer along with the benefits manager and the brokers. So I feel like I just made your question even more complex. (laughs) But I do think there's pros and cons to all sides because I think that employers have a true desire to keep employees healthy, reduce absenteeism, reduce overall spend and risk for employees. And so that's nice where the employer is trying to have a positive effect on overall health. It makes it complex when it comes to the sales cycle and process as an organization who's trying to get a foothold in an industry. It it does. I mean, you're an employer yourself. Uh, Do you think, I mean, so how how is is health insurance expensive for you as an employer and your employees or do you do you think that's a a burden um do you think the access to to the products that you need for your employees is easy our coverage on average as a small to mid-sized company is around ten thousand dollars per year per employee because of course that gives you an answer and i have a um, be, working in digital and working with our team, we actually have a very healthy team, team that's had a lot of babies recently, which is exciting and expanded. Right. But we, um, you know, by and large have an extremely low risk team. Um, so if that says something for the cost, it's crazy. It's an interesting, it is of course a consideration that you have to take, take into account. I mean, if you're a of course. Running a health tech business in London, you, you know, you, your employees and your team relies on the NHS for the most part. So it's a, it is, it's a, it's a part of the thought process you just don't really have to consider unless you think of things as a special perk. 
Yeah, when we are considering hiring, um, when you look at the cost of the employee, right, it's not just the cost of their salary and potential bonus or commission if they're on the commercial side of the business. It actually takes into account their entire package, which is usually anywhere, it could be anywhere from 10 to 20% on top of that person's salary. It's, uh, it's, well, it's a different world, but it's, you know, it's... Uh... This is what entrepreneurs do, right? We, we <laughs> overcome. We understand. We figure these things out. And I was going to say, we figure it out, right? That's our job. Yeah. Or the self-anointed job that we've given ourselves. <laughs> Which leads me quite neatly uh, into to your story. Because uh, we, we, we do like to talk about health and tech, and but also the entrepreneurial journey is something that I am extremely keen on. So... Uh, so VHP is not your, is it your first venture or is it actually you've done a few before? You know, I have had the pleasure of working at three previous startups running sales prior to VHP, uh, sales or business development, I guess I should say. Uh, but it is the first one that I co-founded. I'm the, you know, CEO of. Yeah. Okay. So what made you want to do it? You know, it's interesting you ask that, and I'm curious your response as well. So I just recently am in the process of joining my alma mater's uh, business school board, and they have a new program called Road to Silicon Valley for entrepreneurs. And I don't necessarily think that I sat there and woke up one day and said, I'm just going to be an entrepreneur. What I did recognize was I wanted to be able to impact decision making early on in my career when I was seeing things that I thought could be affected and effected, like to distinguish there in a faster, more effective, helpful manner, both to the patient. Um, I, I was originally in finance and then quickly went over to medical device um, sales and then business development and marketing. And I felt as if the ability to impact a situation both for patients and for the doctors uh, was able to be done much faster in a startup position in a startup company. And I liked the concept of being able to sit at a whiteboard and figure out what could stick, what could work, and that you have to be open to pivoting. So I think there's a certain personality type. When you think of the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur, we have to be able to handle every turn and anything that somebody would throw at you. And so I think that's really what inspired me was that recovery time I was able to handle that you have great knocks and you have hard knocks that are given to you. And those can be within the same 60 second period. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that. So, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. At least it's obvious to me who met you that you're a natural well, thank you. So did you wake up one day and just realize that you were a natural entrepreneur? Or how did it happen? No, now I'm curious. No, I don't know if I know this the, one. The thought process was quite similar, actually. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I felt somewhat naively. So I was with a, with a, a management consultancy and uh, for four years. And, uh, and, Eventually, I looked at the hierarchy above me and said, "Goodness me, it's going to take me ages to get into a, a you know a job where actually I can have an influence on this whole thing. Uh, I'm sure I can do it faster myself." 
and that was fundamentally it. So there was a pressure or the weight of a corporate or a, <laughs> or a hierarchy that made me say, I, can't, I can do this faster myself. Uh, I, I think I had underestimated a few few aspects of it. I, I think, I mean, if you work for an American management consultancy, I think you realize you, you realize that the brand, even in, in these in these environments, matter, and people are attracted to some of these brands. And uh, when you step out out of the shadow of these brands, all of a sudden you may know as much as you did when you were in the shadow, but actually you're not within the brand. And therefore, people will not listen to you and they will not give you money to write reports and create PowerPoint presentations. So <laughs> I think it was this, uh, it, it, I was a bit naive that that I couldn't, didn't quite recognize that it's, it's you know, what it's not so much what you know, it's also who you know. Um, I think so much more of the who you know than I ever realized, right, Tobias? I feel so strongly about that. Yeah. But, I mean, so, but this is how quick a far quick a learner you are because you obviously are, are a supreme networker <laughs> i think i have my work in progress where i am climbing that roller coaster and still on my way up of my networking capabilities but i use them to the finest that i can and find others who have better networks than me to leverage one of the hallmarks of a great networker that I can see that distinguishes those who are good at it and those from those who are not is that you are extremely open to introduce others, you know, to, to share your network. You you like the idea and you believe it'll come back to you that, okay, well, I don't know why I'm in, introducing him to him, but I think there is a connection there and there's a discussion to be had. And you don't think of that as what's in it for me. Uh, you know, so you. I think there's a generosity in that networking aspect that I think is an unsung part of the that separates from the great, the, the great from the good. Well, I really appreciate those kind words. And some days you do need that kind um, phrase or two that's directed your way when you are leading the ship, as I know you know all too well. And I actually feel the same way about you, which is why I think that we got along famously when we first met when you were in New York City with what seems like ages ago through our small world connection. The long and winding story about how we started talking in the first place was that my wife went to the new, to New York many years ago, and she she was casting around for somewhere to stay. And a friend uh, called Ivy Ivy Denon, she uh, she said, "Well, come and stay with us." And and the roommates uh, somehow, you know, twenty years later, connected back up. And so Ivy, I was in in New York last summer, and she said, uh, "You should meet a, you know, a friend of mine. She works for this cool company." and and most of the time you'd say, you know what, <laughs> I'm not sure this will lead anywhere, but kudos to Ivy. So uh, sometimes it's uh, it can be extremely valuable. It, you know what, it's, I agree with you. It's sometimes you get those connections, you're like, oh, great, thank you. And you have no idea where it's going to go, which is why I think both of us follow any potential lead down any rabbit hole possible, just because that rabbit hole might lead to something interesting or just might lead to somebody that it was nice to chat with. Now you're an established business. Uh, do you take less chances? Because you have to be more economical with your time because there's a lot more, you know, um, 
demand for it. Do you do you uh, you you know you say no no more today than you did four years ago? I'd like to say it's the same, but I have recognized that I need to be conscientious to it. And I still, you know, ironically, I was just on with one of our board advisors this morning and he also is on an advisory board for another company where we're speaking with an American insurance company about different opportunities for us to pilot with them and specific populations. And one of them has to do with the high risk pregnancy and NICU population. And I recognized right away as I was listening to him about this company, I was like, Hey, I'm like, you need to get me connected with CEO so that I can pitch him while I'm on the call tomorrow for an opportunity with this insurance company. So I think that my networking might come in different ways these days, if that makes sense, but I'm still always trying to help others because I do believe it circles back towards you without having to ask for it, if that makes sense. No, it does make an awful lot of sense. And I think, you know, the idea of you know, you're turning into somebody that other that inspires others. Um, and, you know, that is a responsibility in its own right. So are you becoming advisor for people who are studying I am. But, you know, I think you and I have a similar background where I don't think I would ever recommend changing going to uh, to a large company first, right? I think what I learned at the first two corporations that I worked at was so helpful. I was going to ask you about that. So you start, were you with J&J? I was originally with AT&T in their financial leadership program, and I then ended up going to J&J, and I was in their management development program. From there, I then left and went to the first startup where I was in sales management. And, and I think it sounds like you exactly, it's a good place to start also for an entrepreneur to start in a corporation and see how things are done. Uh, in a in a big environment and then branch out. Yeah. So, you know, I think that the lessons that you learn there and then the ability to take some of the process and apply it, even if it's not in as rigid of a manner, are absolute necessities. I don't know what you think. I agree. I agree. It's a once you come out of of uh, education out of university it, it is easy to believe that that you know it all and uh the the fact that you you know and ultimately you know you you have to realize that business feeds off some basic you know, it's not about who's the smartest it's not about you know, who comes up with the best ideas you got to you know, put together some some cash flow. You you have to show up for meetings. You have to you know present yourself and talk in a way that you know is met with some level of uh, of respect and, and and you know professionalism. And I think a lot of that, a lot of these intangibles or things that you, you simply just don't think about when you when you come out as a graduate. And, and I think it takes a certain 
point to get to where you recognize you need to build a team around you that one wants to work with you and the company and their other teammates, but that you can also delegate to. And the ability to delegate trust and understand where your strengths are of each team where the strengths are of each team member are absolutely vital right and so you cannot run a company with just you as a great leader and with by yourself and so it's interesting because the um, university asked me if I was interested in judging a program uh, or competition for entrepreneurs to be able to get funding right when they're in college And it's not necessarily something that I can get my arms around yet because I do feel that there is an important need to individuals becoming part of an organization and learning from ground up. We all have to put our pants on one leg at a time, right? I I have not learned how to jump into them yet. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we've got to work on it. But this is circus, circus... uh skills so you run a tech business or a a significant part of it is what we do is tech and you you studied business right I did yes so you know we had to take programming classes and MIS classes when I was in undergraduate business school so I obviously have an understanding and we also did I'm sure like you a lot of work in Microsoft Access in the late 90s early 2000s Clearly, what's happened in the last something twenty years is that actually tech is everywhere. Yeah, um, agreed. So the need for being an engineer or having an understanding of engineering to be uh, a good tech entrepreneur has probably passed. Yeah, I think that in a similar fashion to many industries, having a strong process orientation as a founder and entrepreneur is absolutely necessary. I think that engineering as a whole, whether it's from a developer perspective or somebody who's a civic engineer or architect, et cetera, it gives us an idea of being able to build process and formation around you, right? In a stable environment. So the architecture of what you're building from a tech perspective uh, makes sense and can grow and can pivot. But I think that as long as you have those capabilities, it does not necessarily need to be a true technical background. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, because I know you're more of a consultant background as well. Well, I deep down studied engineering, so computer science is part of my... Oh, there you go. It's hard to believe, but it actually is. Uh, I do my best to forget, but let me ask you another question then, because I mean, so one of the things that I've found is that entrepreneurship, even even those very close to you find it hard to believe that you're doing this project and, and the vision and, and that you have for it. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of knocks on the journey, and what I would suggest is that if you're not passionate about what you do, is all you're doing it for is for financial, you know, for a gain, then, or if you're only doing it for being a cool person, then you'll very easily be scared away. But if you have a raw passion, let's say in our case, it is about health, the health of people, then you can. So persevere and you can push on because, I mean, there's a lot of people who will say no to you. 
completely agree. So first of all, I think the word a lot needs like the all caps locked with multiple exclamation points after it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though I'm not a big social media exclamation point user, but I do think in this instance, you have to have gumption, right? And you also have to have a passion for what you're doing that can't just be driven by bottom line. I, I think people see through that if you don't you? I, I mean, I think that you need to believe in the overall arching need of what you're doing and also be a follower of it yourself. Yeah, and I, I, absolutely. Um, And I think the vision has to come from a a place of passion, as I was saying, but also caring and something that you've experienced yourself that probably leads to, oh my goodness, I need this in my life and others should have it. I I joke around a little bit with the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the character Veruca Saltz and how she wants her golden ticket now and she's stomping her feet and saying, Daddy, I want my golden ticket now. And I don't think there's such a thing as that golden ticket that's just handed to you. We all wish that somebody would just tap us on the shoulder and, and hand us that golden ticket. But uh... And believe me, there's days where I really would like it. <laughs> What's the vision for uh, the HP uh, in particular? And how do yeah. you feel that health tech in our field will be? What will what will it look like in five years? Where will you be and where will the sector be in five years' time? So, you know, I, I think first of all, I saw this crazy statistic about loneliness and the impact that it has on an individual's health and social isolation. And obviously COVID has made this more exposed, but I think our senior population across the globe is probably dealing with this on a hourly basis and I think it's now hit into the younger population as we're working from home remotely and not having as much social interaction engagement right and so it's actually the equivalent of 15 cigarettes a day on the body social isolation pretty crazy Uh, And so, you know, I think that as we look at social communities, something that we were just discussing made me think about this with how I'm not a selfie person. And it's probably because our generation was, you know, before taking selfies and before Facebook was in universities and everything else like that. But I always like to put others into my pictures. And I think that's probably a telling personality trait where I enjoy social interaction and engagement. And I look at my own mom, my dad passed and she has my daughter and my husband, myself, my sister, and she's very surrounded by love, but still feels a lot of isolation. And I think that we really need to utilize technology to create more sense of community for those that are older and that those are younger, where I think a lot of us are going to continue working remotely, at least part of the time until the vaccine is widely spread. But even after that, how do you change cultures where they went to work remotely? And now tell somebody they have to be back in the office five days a week. And what does that look like, right? With new regulations and everything else that have taken effect in different countries. And so I think that we need to utilize technology, not necessarily the AI side of technology, but more the friendship side of technology. And I understand Facebook tries to do this with communities, but I think we need to focus more on health and the initiatives of giving people actual support with experts. I suppose that one of the aspects that we we have seen, you know, you, you're running a business and your office is in Manhattan, uh, our office is in central London. Um, a lot of our em- employees, when they come into the office, they 
they take, you know, they might spend an hour on public transport to get into the office. And so, of course, it's going to be better to work remotely. <laughs> it's just it's just obvious that taking two two out you know, two hours out of, out of your day, and you know you can split it between doing a little bit more work and take an hour or an hour and a half extra and and do something meaningful with it. Of course, it's going to be better, and it's it's going to be hard to see us returning to what we were before uh, March this year. Uh, so as I think, but unfortunately, then you know the other, the flip side, you see this with the second lockdown we're seeing now in the UK. It's just like, yeah, you know, you get very easily isolated, and you can see how you know the flip side of tech tech enabled efficiency, how even among people who really aren't uh, uh, elderly or isolated for other reasons, isolation is a problem and uh, loneliness is a problem even for, for people who would never have thought that before. So uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting world that is coming towards us. And, and, and let me ask you then, you know, the, the role of, of what, what we try to achieve here. So, so are you, are you using uh, models, algor- algorithms, predictive stuff in your in your solutions yet, or do you? Um... We are. Uh, you know, I think that any of us would be remiss to say if you've built a technology solution that's SaaS based that you're not using AI and that you're not using, you know, means of delivering predictive assumptions to an individual right because I think we have to when it comes to software otherwise you just be getting thousands and thousands of options uh, we've taken a slightly different approach to how we look at our delivery where we ask our end users to tell us a few items about themselves so instead of just looking at somebody's clicking on chicken recipes or need for you know tips on managing stress we're trying to get to the bottom of what their goal is and what's really going on with them so I ask a quick series it feels like you're taking a fun quiz on social media to be able to get to know the individual to make some recommended goals and then we make recommendations of content meal plans recipes and even you know live options of attending classes or support groups with a social worker or psychologist if that's something that seems to be needed for the individual to start feeling better about whatever's going on or to feel even better about what they're doing Squaring that trend, though, with a sustainable enterprise. So there was a time, and not long ago, particularly in America, where the there would reimbursement for healthcare would only be relevant if a doctor had spent time in a room with a patient. Yeah, there would be that appointment, this consultation, the you know the, and and of course that that has set the tone, and now. America, particularly, is moving towards a value-based. We are, and I think the NHS has already done that, right? When we look at how important prevention is and preventive measures have been for GPs to be able to provide, and we're an essential part of that. We also are able to um, enable a practice, no matter which health system you're in, uh, for remote patient monitoring so the individual can be monitored. And what we have done is built a full 360-degree wellness ecosphere where we're able to 
work with um, your provider, yourself, and your own needs, and then any other constructs that you'd like to be pulled in, whether it's your trackers, whether it is having live support or just getting the on-demand support with being able to ask a question of a health expert on Messenger where it's not a chat answering you, but a real nutrition specialist or social worker or health coach or fitness instructor. And we then take that and pair that with the delivery of content that supports the need. And, you know, that's really been our big push and one of the, our reasons for success. It's And success is going, it is, and it's going to be even more of it when we uh, bring uh bring our our solutions together we are so excited about that and you know i think what you guys have done where you're pairing up the ability for a user to be able to access i I was telling you i saw this crazy statistic i'm curious um if this is carried forward from the Royal College of GPs, where previous to COVID, that 70% of GP consultations in England were done face-to-face. And with the COVID outbreak, within weeks, it went down to 23%. And that held, it looks like, through June. I haven't seen statistics since then. Uh, I know in the States with Medicare, we saw over 9 million Medicare telehealth um, or video health consultations done within a 11 or 12 week period. Um, So I think that the need for technology and the extension and remote monitoring and abilities to access care have really been demonstrated and the need at your fingertips to have that. I I think, you know, it is, it is true that. So we, we saw um, our transaction volume in on the MyGP platform was 12 million in, in February and 27 million transactions, uh, so patient uh, clinician interactions in March. So it, it just jumped and it stayed up at 20 million for, for, for several months. Uh, the summer, so, so that, that's from our perspective, um, from our uh, GP practices, the several thousands of them that are on our platform, I think it's um, it's an interesting one. So, so one of the things you scale see with scaling with technology is that it has to be ready. It's got to be mature, and people need to be ready to use it. And uh, and what happened was, sadly, <laughs> for for us who work in, in, in the in, in the front line, the video revolution in consultation is slightly uh, over overcooked i think you know what really really happened yes the number of people who visited practices went down significantly uh instead there was an awful lot of telephone consultation consultations uh and yes there were a number of video consultations as well uh but more phone um and what then also happened was the the emergence of attempts to try to triage people so of course if you have if 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 you sit there uh, and you're a gp practice first of all you have your own workforce challenge where actually you need people to self-isolate themselves your doctors so you want your doctors to work remotely which is not easy if you want people to turn up in the and then you have you know the odd situation where a patient uh, if you have the wrong if you happen to have have the virus you know you you infect the practice and there's deep clean and everything that goes with it so so there was this desperate attempt to keep people away for certain things so so this a rudimentary 
all out triage type model. Um, so fairly conventional technologies. Uh, if you want things to work at scale, you know, some it wasn't exactly elegant. <laughs> uh, I have to say, including in the UK, which is a very digitalized uh, primary care system. But you know, it we somehow pulled through. Really, that's uh, <laughs> I suppose what you could say about it. Interesting because we offer both uh, appointments through voice over IP and video on our platform. And prior to COVID, we definitely saw a move from people who used to request voice over IP moving to video. Also seeing a lot less steps across the world, no matter what region we're serving and we're in over 30 countries, we have seen a lot less steps. People are not taking their steps to the underground. They're not taking their steps Mm. to their cars to go back and forth to their parking. Uh, And I think that that's a little scary. You know, how are we going to make up those I'm one of them. I'm definitely one of them. I am too. (laughs) I'm working out more consistently, but I definitely have far less steps. Yeah, I don't know. So I have a question for you. It's a personal one. Hmm. Do you miss being a road warrior? No. Me either. Not, <laughs> not at all. It's uh, it's uh, it, no, I I don't really. I I I think it's uh, I, I still I'm in, I'm still in in awe of the efficiency of working from home that you've cut out some of these aspects. Uh, I, uh, you know, we we are looking to grow into the into the U.S. and of course that's that's been a bit harder if you if you actually can't get on a plane. Uh, but there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, it hasn't really helped that everybody's been very busy and the whole healthcare system or you know healthcare landscape is in turmoil. You know, uh, we've had the same piece on our side where we have tremendously strong partnerships within health systems and our business within health system is because of non-essential uh, services having been cut and so many budgets being cut as well with service lines within marketing and everybody with layoffs. We've really seen an impact in launch timing and, you know, we have very, we've expanded utilization once things are moving again which has been great but i feel your pain we've also seen that within the uk too right <laughs> absolutely I think i think that actually we might have to do another podcast with you jillian because we just have so much still to talk about so uh well it was so great <laughs> we, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon or the morning for you or midday for you um any uh, any final words of wisdom uh, that you would want to uh, give to people who are looking for an entrepreneurial career uh, or starting business in uh, in health tech i think that you need to stay true to your vision ensure that you're process oriented whether you have an engineering computer science or business background and always know that it is about your team that you can build around you because you will never know everything. Brilliant last word. Thank you so much, Jillian. Tobias, um, thank you so much. <laughs> Great. Take awesome. care. Thank you. For more information about VHP, head over to their website, which is www virtualhealthpartners.com if you want to stay in contact with us we are everywhere on social media you can find us on facebook by searching my gp you can find us on twitter by searching at my gp app 
and on Instagram and our name on Instagram is at mygp underscore app.